This is for the free thinkers, the curious beings that swim upstream, who see possibilities, not problems, that learn from the past, live by the present, and create the future. This is the I Love Ugly Audio Show. Welcome to the I Love Ugly Audio Show. I'm Valentin Ozic, creative director and founder of I Love Ugly. On this episode, we sit down with longtime friend of ours, New York-based hip-hop artist Odyssey. We discuss his recent world tour, the role religion played in his life, and what it takes to become an artist in the world we live in today. Enjoy. What's up, Amir? What's up, V? How are you? My man, it's been a while. Eh? Likewise, it's been yeah, good. But it kind of feels good. like I was just hanging out with you yesterday. Right, here we are. I'm back in New Zealand. Coffee Supreme on deck. Yeah, Let's 100%, man. Hey. So what's been happening, man? You've been on tour for how long? On this particular tour, almost six weeks. Yeah. Yeah, we started in Shanghai, worked our way all through Asia, uh, Beijing, Bangkok, where else did we go? Seoul, Tokyo, Singapore, Vietnam. Damn. And then we went to Australia, did four dates there, and then yeah. here we are in New Zealand now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, question, when you're going to these new markets, you know, Shanghai, Vietnam, is, is that happening organically, or are you guys strategically trying to penetrate those markets? Because I know, what was it, five, six years ago, the first time I met you, you played Toured in NZ, and... Um, I think at the time, you know, you're packing out little venues, maybe 100-odd people, 50-odd mm. people. Mm. And, uh, and now, it's, you know, you're traveling Hawke's Bay, all the smaller cities as well. So mm -hmm. obviously, there's a huge demand. So is that kind of part, part of the strategy? Like, you know, certain countries go city by city and just keep doing that over and over? Or? Sure, there's definitely a level of, of strategy to it. I mean, for us, we can, on, on, we can only go where we're booked. You know, so when we do get the chance to go somewhere and we get offers in, we have to be strategic about which offers we accept. Mm -hmm. And you never want to oversaturate yourself as an artist, at least it's my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking to expand markets that I'm undersaturated in so that I can tour there and give a break to other markets that I've toured repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And for me right now, the East, Asia, <clears throat> down under, these are markets that I want to develop. Mm -hmm. And in order to develop them, you have to do smaller cities. Mm -hmm. You have to take a pay cut, you have to do smaller cities, and when you do that, you can amass enough people who once they see it, when you return, you know, then you can do less shows in these markets in larger cities, mm -hmm. and people will drive out to do them. Mm -hmm. But you basically have to make an investment. You have mm -hmm. to put something in and get something out. Mm, so, you know, right now, Asia is a really important place for mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. as hip-hop artists and the touring band, mm. we're providing a caliber and a type of show that isn't normally seen in Asia. Mm -hmm. You got superstars who come, you have a lot of amateurs who can come, but what we are is mid-level artists, artists of high quality who are still relatively unknown. Mm -hmm. You don't get a lot of artists like us because it's too hard to bring us over, mm. money-wise. Mm. So right now we're trying to develop that market so that we can corner it. Mm. You know, you got a, a lot of people with disposable income in mm. Asia. Mm. ever-growing middle classes with ever-growing populations. So it's something that needs to be considered if you're a musician, you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. Like, um, yeah, just, just new markets and, you know, you're playing the long tail game because yeah. it just feels that nowadays, you know, in this generation in which we live in, it's just all, it's just all hits, you know. People want to go from zero to, you know, blowing up, filling up stadiums from one track, but obviously, you know, you've been in this, you've been doing this for long enough to know yeah. that's not reality. And also, 
you can't really, because this end of the day, this is a business for you, right? Sure. So it's your art form, but it's also your living. And Absolutely. it's your business, so you've got to pay, play the long tail game as well. So yeah. is that, yeah, so for, for those markets, like are they, so they opening up more to like, you know, more underground, independent hip hop. Um, they are. And there's, yeah, and is this a new thing? And you think you're like establishing yourself within this market as like the, you know, the early, you know, the early adapter of that, sure. of that kind of trend? I think they've always been interested, but now they have the means to produce the tours and to mm-hmm. produce the, the shows. There's always been an interest. There's always been places like um, in Russia. I remember a massive following of people and in interaction on social media with Russia, mm-hmm. but I never had a show in Russia. And then I remember iTunes being made available in Russia, and within a year I had my first gig in Moscow. Yeah, damn, I think, uh, yeah, you told me about we talked that. about that. And then there's that dude you told me, he said you can't go without a certain, like you have to stay within a certain proximity of oh, the yeah, area. He's like, yeah, you want to walk around and be a tourist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just stay in this yeah, area. Yeah. So yeah, there's always been an interest in a lot of places. I have an interest, I have a massive interest in South Africa. I have mm-hmm. a massive interest in Brazil. Mm-hmm. These are two places I've never gone yet. Yeah. I have had no promoters that have been able to reach out to me and say, I want to bring you to South Africa. Mm-hmm. And reason being is, if you bring me to South Africa right now to do a show, it'll be sold out. Yeah. Let's say 700 to 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sold out. Yeah. If you bring uh, a newer artist who's emerging with a great new EP that's buzzing, that same amount of people are going to come. Mm-hmm. For the same amount. Now, how much will it cost to bring that one guy and his DJ down mm-hmm. and his visas and his accommodations and his fee versus me with a party of eight? Mm-hmm. You can't increase this, the ticket price or the people won't pay it. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep the ticket price here, which keeps me locked out of certain markets. Yeah. Yeah. Simple, just money. Yeah. So on this tour, um, we did what we had to do to get into these markets mm-hmm. so that we're confident that when people see our shows, they will find a way to bring us back. Mm-hmm. And that's what definitely happened. We did a festival in Bangkok this year. Yeah. It was the first festival that they had put on. And they put this poll up afterwards. And they said, uh, who's the best performance that you guys saw? It was like unanimously like us. Yeah. And the promoter was talking to my manager. She's like, yo, we're getting all these calls to book you guys yeah. immediately. Like, we're definitely coming back next year. Yeah. There you have it. Yeah. Job done. Damn. And that's, that was, it happened in Clock and Flap Festival in Hong Kong. We were voted one of the best shows and immediately we're being called back. Blue Note, Beijing, we were called, uh, we did two performances there. We're being asked to come back. Uh, Bangkok, same situation. Wherever we go and when people are introduced to what it is we do, they mm-hmm. find a way to bring us back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing, man. To you, probably sounds like a bit of a silly question, but do you get nervous that people will just not going to turn up or not pack it out? Because I know I was, I was listening, I was reading it somewhere recently, even Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. he'd pack out, you know, 200,000, 100,000 people mm. and he would be, you know, spewing in the toilets beforehand because he'd be nervous that people wouldn't turn up. So you got none of that? I'll be honest with you. Is that, why is that? Like, turnout's not an issue to me. Yeah, yeah. If no one comes to my shows, it doesn't affect me. Yeah. I don't really care. Yeah. I only care about the people who do come. Mm. Uh, I take more of a theatrical approach to show performances. Mm-hmm. So if you're in theater, you got to do the same show every day mm-hmm. for sometimes like two years. Yeah. The exact same show. Yeah. No matter how many people buy tickets, you go out and you do your show, right? And people watch you act on stage. And 
in order to do the amount of shows that we do, sometimes 140, 150 in a year, how do you maintain the same show for people and the same quality for show if you are emotionally invested? Mm. And that's dependent on the reaction or the amount of crowd attendance. Mm -hmm. Like, you're doing yourself an injustice mm -hmm. and you're doing the crowd an injustice. Mm -hmm. If you're dependent on crowd attendance and, and energy from them, a response in order for you to do your job. Mm -hmm. And I very much see what I do as a job. Mm -hmm. And no one can come to work here or anywhere else and based on how they feel, act a certain way at work. Yeah. You have to come to work, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So w it doesn't matter who's in the crowd. I'm almost on autopilot on stage. Yeah, yeah. Everything is scripted and rehearsed. Yeah. Our jokes, yeah. our candid <laughs> moments, Yeah, you know? It's all written out, yeah. and we want to make you feel like it's happening for the first time, mm -hmm. and you will. I'll tell you this right now. If you come to the show, you guarantee you'll still feel like it's happening something spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course, And man. we've perfected that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, like, you know, 140 shows in a year, fuck, that that's, that's, that's drains your energy. And also the fact you're a father now, yeah. that must be also equally difficult. Like, how do you... You know, you, you must also, yeah, you'll get, you'll get, you'll, you'll go to crowds and you'll feed off your energy, but you mm. must, must get days where you're like, man, I'd rather be at home with my daughter. Most days. Yeah. Yeah. So how, <laughs> how, how, how do you, like, how do you actually kind of get through, through a lot of that? Because a lot of people, like, yeah. you know, professionals, uh, people coming up, better fix them to the point where it paralyzes them and they actually can't go on. It's true. Like, how do you, how do you maintain that professionalism and that kind of just that barrier, you know, you drop those barriers and you keep pursuing it. How do you do that? Objectivity. What do you mean by that? I think that's the hardest thing to possess when you're a creative, mm -hmm. is the ability to be objective about your own self and your work. To step outside of it and view it through the eyes of someone else, not simply because you made it. And objectively, I have to know what to cut out of my life and what to add in order to sustain myself. Mm -hmm. So this year, I didn't come out with an album. Mm -hmm. My daughter was born on July 21st, 2017. Yeah. And I came home, I, came, I was done touring, I wanna say December 2017 when I was done done. I, I was in Portugal. I mean, I was in and out. My daughter was born in, in France, and I spent the summer in Europe. Mm -hmm. So we were together. I, I stayed in France July and August with him. And I went to do some shows in September, and then my wife came back in November, and then I came back in December. I came home that December, and my label was like, great, need this album. And just like every other album that came out before it, I had three months to do it. And I said, you know what? Is that, is that short? It's very short. Yeah. It's very short. Mm -hmm. But my label needs the album to come out because they need time to manufacture it. And then my booking agency needs the album to come out as soon as possible because when the record's out, they can send it to the promoters to consider booking me for next year. And then my manager needs the album to be done so he can renegotiate my publishing deal and pitch it for licensing so that my music is in documentaries, commercials, and video games approximately around the same time as the release. Hmm. So everyone's looking at me to finish this record so that they can do their job in advance. Mm -hmm. and it starts looking like zeros and ones and not mm -hmm. art anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I came home in that December and I was like, I can't, yeah. I can't do this album. I got nothing and I don't want anything. I yeah. just want to not shave, 
and staying home with my daughter. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough, man. And the compromise was cutting the mustache off yeah. when I came on tour. Yeah. <laughs> it was much, it was, it was, it was doing its own thing. Um, <laughs> and I came home in December and I just was a dad. That's it, I didn't do anything. You know, obviously I had time during the day. I just made beats, but I didn't make beats for a deadline or for yeah. an album. Yeah. It was just for fun again. Mm -hmm. I would holler at people, say, like, hey, I like what you're doing. You wanna work on a track? Yeah. And they were like, for sure. I was like, for nothing. I just wanna yeah. just do it. Did you, did you find during that period you're making better quality music because you're not doing it for anything besides just pure art form? Like you had no deadlines, no video games to produce. I'm no trying to be objective. I never put out something that I don't like. Yeah. But do I enjoy it while I'm creating it? And I found that I enjoyed this more. Mm -hmm. But the result, the end result of what I was making, I liked it just as much as anything else yeah. I put out. Yeah. It's just the pressure, the positive stress versus the negative stress. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I talk about that with, with my peers a lot, about positive stress and yeah, negative yeah, stress. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, there's stress which you can use as a tool. And there's a stress that just it can completely disable you. Exactly. And then as you, yeah, as you grow as an artist and a professional, you use to utilize both forms of stress. So, 100%. Yeah. So you, do you feel, feel yeah. do you feel with, uh, you know, now there's a daughter in your life, has that changed you much as a person? Oh, yeah, man. I see so many things through her eyes now. Yeah. And I see so many things that what she's going to see eventually. Yeah. The first thing was pink. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first one. Yeah. And I was like, what? And I, I'm like, what is all of this like overbearing gender control? Yeah. Mind you. But um, did you force that on her? It's just no, 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 they no, just no. pick it, right? No, no, no. It was just everyone who came to us was giving us pink. Oh, I see, yeah, yeah. All the gifts were in pink, pink, mm -hmm. pink, pink, pink. And I'm like, there's plenty of other colors to express gender, mm -hmm. or femininity, mm -hmm. or, or masculinity, or mm -hmm. expression. There's plenty of other colors for these things. Yeah. What, what is all of this pink? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even like pink. My <laughs> wife's like, I don't like pink either. I was like, can we not do this whole pink thing? Yeah. And it's like, all right. So that was the first step. The second step, my family being Sudanese, mm -hmm. um, they immediately pierce girls' ears wow. so that you can identify them as, as girls. How old? When did they start doing that? Month. Wow. Two? Yeah. Damn, <laughs> that must have been painful. Eh? Well, no, we didn't do it. Oh, wow. And yeah. My family was like, so my sister was like, when are you going to pierce her ears? Yeah. I was like, when she decides that she wants her ears pierced and she has a conversation and she says, I want it, yeah, I'll yeah. let her pierce her ears. Yeah. Wow. On that day, I was like, sure, go for it. Yeah. Because she'll understand the power of decision making. Yeah. If she's eight and she comes to me and she says, I want my ears pierced, yeah. I will let her get her ears pierced. Yeah. The fact that she asked me, mm. she'll learn the power of decision making. Mm. Directly or indirectly, mm, you know what I mean? Hundred percent. And um, so yeah, my eyes opened a lot to that, and just the—I don't even know another way to say this. My people come and they say my daughter's pretty a lot, mm -hmm. and it really irritates me. Really? Yeah, it irritates yeah. me because I feel like there's this <clears throat> attention on appearance that I'm now noticing that starts with women when they're very, very young. Mm. That's not put on men, mm. and. No matter how many times, when people say that, obviously they don't know my daughter the way I do. It's like, yeah. oh my God, your daughter's so pretty. She's going to be a looker. Go, you better get a gun. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, you know, she's really smart. Yeah. You know? Because she, she's 16 months now, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, she, she can comprehend three languages already. Wow. You know? I'm like, yeah. she does this, she does that. And they're like, 
So those eyes though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, kids are so, because I've got three children, as yeah. you know, and they are, yeah, even, even though they may not be able to articulate or they may seem yeah. like they're not understanding, they yeah. understand, they know what's going on. So much. And they are smart. They're like, so sharp. The way they can manipulate, the way they can like, yeah. You have a daughter daddy. now. Yeah, I've got a daughter, 10-year-old you, you notice daughter. any difference and the types of comments your sons received as infants or young ones mm. versus your daughter or the type yeah. of gifts they receive or what's focused on? Have you yeah, noticed the 100%, difference? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Like my daughter, because I was a dad at 22, mm. so everything happened so fast. I was just trying to comprehend what was going on. Yeah. But as, I've, as my daughter's grown, I've noticed that she's trying to, she, same, same thing, like if anybody tries to kind of box her in this whole girl, cliche girl category, she doesn't like it. She, yeah. she she wants to be her own girl. So she yeah. told me, yeah. You know, she told me she wants to run this company one day. Yeah. You know, she told me <laughs> that she doesn't like pink. She likes black. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then uh, but yeah, it's, it's true. Like your daughter, and then for the son, it's all about oh, you're 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 strong. You're yeah. a big boy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, which you'll probably get when you you know if you have yeah. a boy. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, no, nah, it's crazy. Just like you know the way the way people and just culture. Kind of, you know, and and you got to be careful as well. If you let too much in, um, it can begin dictating, you know, without being like an authoritative figure in their life. Sure. If you just let culture be the figure, um, it's dangerous, you know. Something that my eyes are open to now that, I, if I'm honest, I didn't really see. Even with my own siblings, I have sisters. I didn't see it until I had my own daughter. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Well, it's like you don't really understand or what your parents say doesn't resonate to you until you become a parent. Sure. It's the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then some stuff, even though it grinded your gears when you're younger, yeah. it's not until you, you become a father where yeah. you realize your parents were actually right. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. That's happened to me yeah. quite a lot in the, they were right in the recent so much. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, no, nah, it's amazing, man. I'm real, real happy, happy about that. Oh, like, man. you know, that's kind of really... Um, you know, change your life like that as well. So, yeah, yeah. So how, great. like, you know, you're, cause how, you're 32 years old? Yeah. 32? I like, think so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what my Wikipedia says versus my real age. Yeah, you yeah. You want to say 32, let's go with it. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. I was actually like that the other day. See, see that, Dan? See? <laughs> I didn't tell the truth. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, yeah, how, how long, like, you know, how long do you reckon you could be, you know, continue doing this for? Like, actually, I'm talking on the stage, performing, um, like, do you, sure. do you see, like, is there an end goal? Is there? Yeah. It's all about being objective again. Yeah. As I get older, I'll still be able to tour. The venues will get smaller. Yeah. The show dates will dry up. There won't be as many. Mm -hmm. But they'll still be there. Yeah. I'll go from doing, you know, 700 to 1,000 to 300 to 500 to eventually 150 to 250. Mm -hmm. And then that 250 will be a core audience who has been listening to me for years mm -hmm. and has kind of grown up with me mm -hmm. and has had children to my music, et cetera. And they'll be there. Mm. And to this day, if I go do a venue that's 700 to 1,000 capacity, how many people in there are core followers of my mm. music? Anytime I do a show, doesn't matter how many times I come back to a city, probably about 200, 250. Mm. The other ones are there because they saw some advertisement, they heard a song that year, yeah. their friends dragged them, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah, I'll be able to do it, but it'll be less. It'll mm. be fewer people and less shows, but mm. it'll happen. Mm. I'm transitioning now. It's all about having your hands in as many things yeah. as possible. Yeah. And I've had a unique career that spanned a very interesting time in music. Mm. 
as far as how so the collapse of the old model of the new music of the music industry mm -hmm. of one size fits all artists yeah with massive record labels and big deals and big budgets mm -hmm. to that collapsing mm -hmm. and then the rise of bootlegging and internet downloading mm -hmm. to the music industry figuring itself out and the evolution of streaming mm -hmm. and social media being used for direct-to-fan marketing mm -hmm. into now where we're kind of evening out where it's so easy to stream or to click and download that people are less inclined to steal music because you have to go through far much more to do so. Mm -hmm. So we found a way to capitalize again off of music yeah. and in often ways make more money, mm -hmm. which is a very big misconception that the music industry tries to, I, I think, benefit from everyone still believing that the music industry is suffering. Mm -hmm. I think the music industry benefits from that myth, mm -hmm. where it is doing very, very well yeah. through streaming and through licensing and through selecting artists that have small niche audiences mm -hmm. and cult followings and no longer going after artists that can appeal to everyone. Every mm -hmm. once in a while you're going to get that mega artist for sure. Yeah. But the amount of artists that are on major labels that the artists themselves appear indie mm -hmm. is a trend mm -hmm. right now, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a beneficial trend, I think, mm -hmm. to the music industry. Yeah. And my career kind of spans all of that. Mm. So I've learned how to market directly to fans. Yeah. I've learned how to tour on big budgets and, and little to no budget. Mm -hmm. You know, I've learned the music licensing game mm -hmm. and how to solicit music and craft music mm -hmm. for licensing. Mm -hmm. And I can now apply everything that I've learned to someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. you know? And do you have anyone that's kind of under you that you're, you know, your protege that you're nurturing and helping him avoid mistakes? Or do you get people, do you get uh, young, young cats reaching out just to ask you, hey, Amir, can you, I'm struggling with this or bro, can you help I me gotta out? I got to be honest with you. Maybe you can relate to this. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And when I try to help and put them up on game, it's rejected. Mm. It's like this millennial belief that there's so many wealthy people at mm. such a young age mm. that if they're not that wealthy at that age, they're mm. not successful. Yeah, they're a failure. So yeah. their parameters for success <clears throat> have been completely warped. 100%. And their concept of work ethic on how hard things are mm. has been completely warped because 100%. all this, they're so hyper exposed to the end result. Mm. So someone will come to me and, you know, all the time and they'll be like, yo, bro, I'm trying to get on. Yeah. Help me. I'm like, all right, well, in order to do so, this is what you have to do. This is how much work you have to put. This is how many songs you have to do. This is how many remixes you have to do. And they don't this like is, it. <laughs> they don't like the yeah, answers yeah, I'm giving 100%. them. hundred percent. They're not trying to hear mm. it. When, and, and when eventually they, they admit that they don't like it, they disappear. Mm. They, mm. They, they, they're off. Is there any one particular person or guy or woman that's actually taken on board your advice? In music? Just in general, yeah. Shout out to Lawrence. <laughs> My documentary, documentary videographer. Yeah. He understands the value of hard work and is down to put it in at yeah. any moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, man. Like My band in general, they understand the, uh, the, 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 the sacrifice. Yeah. You know? Totally. But it's man. been most people. No. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Like, yeah, you're right. We live in a. In a generation where everything's instant, mm. you know, even my kids, they just want to they wanna watch a YouTube clip. I'll get it instantly. You know, people see someone succeeding, they want it instantly. But when you tell them about the long tail yeah. and that success isn't, 
you know, it's not linear. Yeah. It's, there's some bumps. You know, there'll be periods where it feels like you're going nowhere for four years. Yeah. But you got to keep going, going through, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. People don't like that. And no, at don't. the end of it, you <laughs> might have put in 10 years in it. And at the end of it, uh, you know, success still isn't guaranteed. You know, that's hard, that's hard to muster. Like it's even hard to convince people to tell people and they don't want to hear it. And then it, it kind of, when you, when you think about it yourself, you're like, man, I'm kind of... I'm kind of crazy that I actually took this <laughs> risk. Yeah. Are you crazy or are you objective? Mm, yeah. 100%. And is objectivity rare? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's what I'm about. It's yeah. Like, being objective is really, really hard. Mm. Stepping outside of yourself and saying, what are my skill sets? What am I good at? What do I like versus what am I good at? Mm. Do they actually line up? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the hardest things, self-awareness. Yeah. And then having yeah. a group of people around you that actually, like, you know, they just get real with you. Yeah. You're yeah. like, yo, man, just yeah. tell me straight up, you know, am I shit at this? Right. You know, right. help me. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's like, you know, I think the best, the people that are the best in their field, they're not afraid to admit their weaknesses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sure. then they're also very, very particular about picking the right people, you know, to have around them as well. Obviously, you've done that amazingly oh, yeah. with your band, um, yeah. you know, with the yeah. people around you as well to help you get to the point where you're at now. And you're all helping each other. So, yeah, man, we, we are, we are one big, happy, dysfunctional family. Yeah. <laughs> as, as a way any and family should be. Every family. Yeah. Every functional family's got to be dysfunctional, Exactly. Man. It has to be a yeah. level of dysfunction. Oh, you know I mean? Definitely. Yeah. How big is your family? What, my musical family? Oh, your, your, your family. My family siblings. family? Yeah. Jeez. Uh, we are... I have five siblings total. I was raised with four. Damn, I got five as well. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you on, this, on the scale? Depends on which part of the scale. Mom yeah. and my mother uh, was married once before my dad yeah. and had my sister. Yeah. They were divorced. My mom and dad married, had me. They mm -hmm. were divorced. My dad married my stepmother and had four more. Yeah. I was raised with my stepmother and my four siblings as the oldest mm -hmm. and very much in my older brother mm -hmm. to my siblings. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah wow. So um, just, to, just to switch it up, bro, because I know you're pretty pressed with time. Yeah, you're, you're, playing, yeah. you're playing in a few hours. Uh, just a few, a few questions that I've always wanted to ask you as yeah, well. Yeah, ask like, away, man. How does, um, you know, you're Muslim, yeah. how, does, how does faith play in the whole creative process for you? Islam for me is giving me structure. It's giving me, um, what do, how would you explain it? It keeps me grounded. Yeah. It makes me understand, like we were talking about earlier off camera, mm -hmm. my fragility and how everything can be over in an instant. Yeah. Uh, there's a saying that my dad has said to me growing up constantly. I even mentioned it in a song. You live every day as if it's your last. You plan every day as if you live for an eternity. Yeah. This is Islamic thought. That's amazing. You know? I love that. And having a, my core beliefs grounded in such philosophies has been fantastic for me. Yeah. Especially as a traveling musician. Yeah. You know? Keeping that moral compass straight and the discipline that comes from it, you know? I'm not drinking on tour, I'm not mm. eating crazy, I'm mm. not doing anything that would make my job harder. Mm. You know, it al allowing me room for clarity and focus, mm. you know? Mm. And that's, that's given me that. Uh, Ibn Battuta, uh, one of my favorite um, people in history, he's the most traveled man by foot in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. He traveled the entire Islamic empire by foot from the Maghreb in Morocco 
all the way to China. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Prophet Muhammad in, in, the, in the Bible, peace be, and, and <laughs> cut that part. I made a mistake because my mom's Christian, my dad's Muslim. Um, edit. <laughs> uh, the Prophet Muhammad in the Quran, peace be upon him, said, travel to the ends of the world to seek knowledge, even mm -hmm. if it means China. Mm -hmm. Because in his day, China was the end of the world. Mm. So as a rapper, as a rapper named Odyssey, which means journey in Greek, mm. I just want knowledge and I just want to travel to acquire it so that it helps my creative process. Mm. And those principles came to me from Islam. Mm. Uh, art, geometry, physics, poetry, literature, these are all things Islamic that mm. I acquired mm. that encouraged me to go out and seek more of it. Mm. So yeah, it, it's played a huge role in my ethos and just my, my way of thinking, mm. as well as my spirituality. I think the spirituality is what most people tend to focus on when it comes to religion. Mm -hmm. And we, f we tend to forget how religion can play a way in our philosophy. Mm. And when we do talk about it in philosophy, we tend to only focus on the negative mm. aspects of it, or suppressing people and gender, et cetera, mm. or withholding information from them but philosophically, like Islam has been really helpful to me. Mm. When you know the history, when, mm. you, when you know what people have been responsible for, mm. it's been a huge impact on me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's so fascinating, man. So, you, so just yeah, based on that, then, I think, yeah, just the, the discipline that it's added, you know, the rituals, just yeah. all, all, you know, all those things. I Ritual, think. just yeah. another one in yeah. Islam, taught me ritual and so many other things in my life. Mm. I, I make coffee every morning the exact same way mm. because I grew up in a culture of ritual. Yeah. You know? do, you, do, do you use, sorry to kind of deviate away, but <laughs> do, you, um, do you use coffee as a tool? Yes. So before you, before you write? So obviously you like the ritual aspect of it. Yeah. And then do you use it as a tool to, you know, obviously it's going to, yeah, it's going to stimulate your um, cognitive function. Do you use that before you write or perform? Or I use coffee as a tool of ritual to create some form of routine for me. Mm -hmm. especially when I'm on the road. Coffee, making coffee the exact same way every morning, it allows me to stay grounded. And when I'm moving around from city to city every day and I literally forget what day it is or where I'm at or where I woke up, having that ritual of doing the exact same thing every day, of grinding my beans, weighing out my coffee, making my coffee, it makes where I'm at, it, it, just, it doesn't matter. Mm. As long as I start my day off doing the exact same thing, yeah. I find this level of comfort mm. and it allows me to be on the road for longer periods of time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the caffeine is an added bonus. Yeah, 100%, yeah. man. Yeah. Like everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, yeah, you must apply a lot of those, um, you know, your, your discipline rituals to all aspects of your life in as well. So, so like just sitting down to write. I reckon one of the hardest things to do is to actually sit down. It's not the writing itself probably or doing the, the work, it's actually, you know, having a discipline to sit down, cancel out the noise and apply yourself. Get out of my head. I tell people all the time, most people say it's easier said than done. I believe that it's easier done than said. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's much harder to articulate to yourself what it is that you're trying to do and really map it out and put the thought into what it is you're doing. Mm. But once you do that, you're following in a blueprint and the execution is easy. Mm. It's tedious work, but it's not difficult. Yeah. And that's how I'm able to do an album in three months because mm. I'll spend the year thinking about the record mm -hmm. and I'll spend three months executing it. Yeah, know? definitely. So what's, yeah. Like, what's that quote? I think it's by an ex-president. He says, if I had four hours to chop down a tree, 
I'd spend three and a half hours sharpening the axe. <laughs> yeah, the execution part. If you sharpen the axe, yeah, man, you yeah, know, you'll do that quickly. Yeah, that's just, a good one. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah write that down, man. Yeah, credit, that's a good credit, one. Credit V. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, just before we wrap up, man, um, I just want to ask you, like, uh, you know, obviously, yeah, we all get, you know, you're a successful person, even though, even though, as you said, it's objective. Sure. I think you are. In my eyes, you know, you've been an influence that. to me. Uh, you've been a good friend, um, even though, as I said, we probably only chat once a year. Know, it feels like it's yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you get big bumps in the road. Um, you know, you might feel like the music you're producing or the work you're producing may not be good. Sure. Um, what What advice would you give to someone that's like, you know, an artist, a musician, someone trying to build a business that does have those days or those months or those periods and um, nothing seems to be working for them? What advice would you have for them? If you could kind of summarize it in a couple of minutes, just to kind of push on for, and like you know maybe a few whether it be a few tools or tactics or what could you mm. Um, mm. what insights could you give to these people? Sure. You are your own worst critic, mm. and if you're a person who's already contemplating these issues of if your product is good enough or not. You've already put yourself in a position where your expectations are significantly higher than the recipient. Mm. And it is far easier to satisfy people on the outside than we think it is. Mm. And that's a sad truth. Mm. That our own expectations, for when myself and my band are on stage and we may make a few mistakes, and we're like, oh, we messed up. No one notices. Mm. So how much does it matter? Mm. So don't stress out about it. Mm. Because I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, slack off by any means yeah but if you reach those points where you think what you're making isn't connecting with people or isn't as good enough hands down there will be someone that resonates that it resonates Mm -hmm. with and that connects with it it's a lot of people in this world a lot of people in this world create as many different demographics and boxes never be afraid to be put in a box just Mm -hmm. be put in as many boxes as possible Mm, i like that man you know that's 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 the truth like if there's a box of people who like your music at this quality of your own expectations, feed that to them. If there's people that really like the music that you really, really appreciate, that is so involved and in-depth that it only really appeals to a certain small percentage, don't expect the rest of the world to get that. Mm. Just give that to those people. Mm. And then you'll find yourself in this position where you have, you're creating without stress because every style of whatever it is that you create you've created a market for it. Mm. Your, your lowbrow stuff, your highbrow stuff, your comedic stuff, your serious stuff, your playful things, your serious things, your individual work, your collaborative work. You've created an avenue for all of those things and they're all expressions of you. They're all avenues of your consciousness. Mm. So the long, the way, as long as you diversify yourself, just feed people what they want and don't stress out about it too mm. much. Bruh. Like, I've got nothing more to add to that. That's, oh. that's beautiful, bro. Thank you. Just man. want to thank you for coming on, man. Oh, thank Such you. Such a pleasure, bro. Seriously, man. No, man. Oh, awesome. Pleasure, man. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found any type of value, please subscribe to our podcast, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review on iTunes to be in the draw to win a $200 I Love Ugly gift voucher. We will be drawing a winner weekly. Good luck, and see you on the next episode.